here want to say. Welcome to Woman Unplugged, a podcast of encouragement for today. Let's talk about the everyday matters of life, womanhood, motherhood, marriage, friendship, and more. We're all new to this thing called life. We've never done it before. Tune in to this podcast and be encouraged, inspired, restored, find new joy and purpose as you grow into the woman you are called to be. Let's go. This is Rosalie Elliott with Woman Unplugged. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. Today, I want to talk about identity. Who are you? What's your type? No, not as in potential partner, but what's your personality type? Who are you? What do you say when you're asked that question? Do you define yourself by your name, age, and marital status? Or do you define yourself by your career? by what you do or how you feel? What does it mean to be someone, to be a person? What does it mean to be yourself? Who are you? And is it even important to have an identity, to know who you are? Well, let's start there. I like to look at things in order, go through a list, if you will, and I love lists, a lot like Jane Gloriana Villanueva, if you've seen that show, Jane the Virgin. So, does it matter? Does it matter if you know who you are? Yes. Yes, it absolutely is important to know who you are and why you are. Why? Because so many things, if not everything, is determined by your identity. I'll use an example from episode number one. If you think you are a beggar, you will act like one. If you know you are royalty, you will walk with the confidence of a child of the king. Well, without identity, we aimlessly wander around, restlessly looking for something that can give us meaning. We share it on social media in hopes of a like. We spend a lot of time assessing our personality types, trying to understand ourselves, taking tests, assessing our needs, learning what we need to change, what we need to work on or improve. You know, I just recently found myself obsessing with which personality type I was because I so desperately wanted to know, to be understood and understand myself. For one, I wanted to understand, and two, I wanted to learn more about myself so I could improve and yet, once again, work on myself and whatever needed fixing. For many years, a lot of my actions and decisions were fueled by a false sense of identity. I had made severe mistakes and committed sins I never thought I would do, and in turn, I walked in that shame. I felt like a failure, like I messed my life up, and so I tried to redeem myself and fix the mess. It was a constant one step forward, three steps back. I would engage with the wrong guys, desperately looking for love and trying to imitate others and act a certain way. I was faking confidence, posting on social media about being this lioness, looking up oh so many inspirational quotes on the internet about the worth of a woman, and I would share those with the world, trying to appear like some fierce, independent, confident woman, even though all along, I was still waiting for that boy to call me back. And I would lower my standards so very low. I said yes, or said nothing at all when I wanted to say no. I was afraid to speak my mind around certain people. I would obsess over what others had to say or think about me 
too worried about people's opinions. I was trying to be this jackpot woman who could do and be everything. You know, I'm every woman, it's all in me. You know, that type of mindset. I was playing wife for boys who made no attempt at claiming me as such. I'd feel good about myself when I wore a certain outfit or looked a certain way, when I accomplished something, when I helped someone in need. I wanted to be it, but I was so broken inside. You know, the internet is full of those inspirational, all my single ladies, all my single ladies, type of quotes. A rally for all the independent women to pay their own bills, pay my telephone bills. And who runs the world, girls? You know, we're looking for affirmation that we got this. We are it. And we're frantically looking for reminders of our worth because we don't know it. We don't know who we are. That's why commercials and advertisement is so effective. They address an unmet need. The desire to be beautiful, to have a certain figure, to wear a certain clothing, drive a specific car. We want to belong. Status, appearance, success, a constant cry for identity. Now, I know this doesn't apply to everyone. Some of you don't care about social media posts. Others are unaffected by the billboards. Yet, we all want to know who we are. We find our voices in a song, through a genre of music, a type of clothing, maybe through a group of friends. Apart from alone time, we don't really want to be alone. We don't want to be lonely without purpose or meaning. And thus, self-assessment, personality tests, internet quizzes seem to be at an all-time demand, all-time high right now. You know, there's the Myers-Briggs test, for example, the Enneagram test, and countless others, at times seemingly silly online quizzes that you can take to find out what your personality type is. The Myers-Briggs type indicator which is based on the theory of Carl Jung from 1920, was created around 1940 in an attempt to make his theory of personality types understandable. The idea of that theory is that seemingly random variations in people's behaviors is actually pretty consistent based on how individuals use their perception and judgment. There are 16 distinctive personality types. You might have heard of the abbreviations such as INFJ or ESFP. All types are equal, of course. One is not better than the other. People's personality types just vary depending on what they focus on, how they make decisions, what structure they prefer. For example, do you prefer to focus on your inner world or the outside more? You know, introverted versus extroverted. Or do you prefer interpreting and adding meaning to information? Or do you focus on the basics? Do you look at logic or people when making decisions? Perception is how we become aware of things. And judgment is how we come to conclusions about those matters. If we vary in how we perceive and conclude things, then logically we will differ in our reactions, motivations, skills, and values. The Enneagram, on the other hand, is a test that divides people into nine different personality types. The reformer, the helper, the achiever, the individualist, the investigator, the loyalist, the enthusiast, the challenger, and the peacemaker. 
According to the Enneagram Institute, the Enneagram of Personality Types is a modern synthesis of a number of ancient wisdom traditions. But the person who originally put the system together was Oscar Ichazo. Other resources claim that the origin is a matter of dispute. But nonetheless, without going into too much detail about that personality type theory, for the sake of this conversation, it suffices to say that the Enneagram is a typology of nine interconnected personality types. You can recognize it by this holistic circle with various lines that go through it. A big focus of these types and how they differ from one another is based on their different characteristics, their basic desires, and their unhealthy and healthy state, and what each type fears most at the core. Isn't that interesting? That is something each type that we all have in common. We are all afraid of something. I'm so glad that God's word has something to say for all of us. I'm so glad God wrote his love letter to us regardless of our status, identity, or personality type. He says to us all, do not fear. So many times over and over we read that message, do not fear. But what does that look like on a daily basis for each of us with our oh so different personalities? I'll go over the various types in a short sequel So stay tuned for that. Perhaps you will be able to identify which type you are. The best way to do that is to take the test, of course. But stay tuned for that sequel because I have a special little treat for you. You know, then of course there are many different social media quizzes that many get intrigued by. And I'm not hating, by the way. I've been there and done that. Which Disney princess are you? What's your type? Which superhero are you? You know, we long to know who we are, where we fit in, and how we stand out. I personally have taken many tests as well. I took the PSTR twice. It's an in-depth personality assessment that basically, put in simple terms, categorizes into three tiers. Your core structure, which doesn't really ever change, it's who you are at the core, your basic structure, something that's somewhat changeable but still fairly consistent, and lastly, your characteristics, things that can be changed and modified with work and over time. Your core structure assesses if you're horizontally, rather introverted or extroverted, while vertically it scales you somewhere between being stable or flexible. Now, remember, one is not better than the other, just different. The basic structure looks at if you're rather factual or warm-hearted, unconventional or correct. And then the characteristics that are assessed in this test are a variety of things, such as where you fall on the scale between thinking abstract or concrete thoughts, if you're more spontaneous or self-controlled, if you're more calm or have inner tension, if you're rather flexible or drawn to obligation and duty, and so on and so forth. I found out that I'm warm-hearted, correct, at my core something that won't really change. But when it comes to my characteristics, there were things I needed to work on, like increasing my awareness. So I did as instructed by my professor. He pointed out back then that my sensitivity was high, but my awareness had to grow. Otherwise, I would be rather sensitive for myself, but not so sensitive for others around me. And of course, I want to be sensitive to those around me. You know, someone I cared for at the time was much more unconventional than me. And so I wanted to be more unconventional and easygoing. But like I mentioned before, 
our core is usually not something that changes over the course of time. And so instead of accepting myself for me and being confident in who I am and what I bring to the table, what God has given me and gifted me with, I was torn between liking the fact that I was classified, if you will, as that typical pietist servant type, but yet I still felt like less because I didn't seem to be enough for the one that I cared for. So what do you do when you don't know who you are? Or worse, if you aren't sure if you like who you are? Later in my life, I took the Myers-Briggs test, and I found that many things that are listed about my personality type were very accurate. And then I most recently took the Enneagram test. That one had me spinning for a few days because I wanted to avoid paying for the test and I took several free versions online, which led me to somewhat different results at first. So I found myself obsessing, trying to figure out which type am I because I wanted to know who I am. I wanted to understand myself. I wanted to be understood and belong somehow. And that would also help me to know what, yes, yet again, I can fix and work on in myself. I believe there is a widespread hunger in most of us, and especially in our Western cultures where we have the means to take these tests and surf the internet for information, for an understanding of who we are, a desire to know where we belong. We have a longing to belong, and yet we want to stand out. We all have basic fears and a hunger to be loved, but it will show in different ways, and some characteristics will be more predominant than others in each of us. What does it mean when someone asks us, who are you? What does it mean to have an identity? Interestingly enough, the word identity comes from the Latin word idem, which means same. In late Latin, identitas. And in English, identity means the quality of being identical. Thus, identity means being the same as. So when asked, what is your identity? Perhaps we could ask, what do you identify with? What are you the same as? In life, we often need comparisons to understand things. For example, that building was as tall as ABC. The food tastes like XYZ. This perfume smells like one, two, three. You get the point. We look for identity, sameness, oneness with something that we can relate to. And yet, we want individuality, a.k.a. being unique. Identity is the fact or characteristic that determines what a person or thing is. It is a close similarity to something. According to Collins Dictionary, and I quote, identity is who you are. The identity of a person or place is the characteristics they have that distinguish them from others, end quote. Isn't it interesting that the word identity means same, yet it is what distinguishes us from others? I suppose if someone says, I am Spanish or from Spain, when asked who they are, it is because they identify with their land and origin. It is part of their identity part of what they have in common with their fellow Spaniards, and yet it is what distinguishes them from the people of other origin. Ironically enough, I'd argue that most of us, if not all of us, don't want to be identical. While we often copy others and follow the trend of what others do, we all want to be unique in our own way. I doubt anyone really wants to be a robot 
who is simply the 450th version of whatever came before them. We want to be loved. We want to be seen, known, admired, and appreciated for what we bring to the table. That is why we like to hear things like, no two fingerprints are the same. We want to know we've been made unique. There's not much value in the individual item in mass production, right? On the contrary, the more of a kind there is, the less expensive the unit becomes, right? The expensive and valuable things are the things that are rare, that natural diamond, that one-of-a-kind painting, that VIP pass to the concert. It's rare, it's special, and it's not for everyone. Somehow, we seem to have an inherent desire to be unique, and while we all are created equal, yes, I'll say it, not one fingerprint is like another. You truly are one of a kind. But I don't want this to simply be some pat you on the back and make you feel good for a moment type of podcast. I really want us to dive deeper today and grasp more, because for many of us, the hurt and the fears that struggle for identity goes much deeper than a quick little reminder that you're special. For many of us, even when it's meant well, the reminder that God loves great and small alike and that you're beautiful just the way you are doesn't really sink in. It scratches the surface of a wounded heart that desperately wants to be loved and yet finds herself in a constant battlefield, doubting her own goodness, her own value, her own achievements, her purpose and place. We look for identity in many ways. Sometimes what we look like, or our status, money, car, house, determines our identity. Sometimes what we feel like determines how we view ourselves. And other times it's what we have done or what we do, our accomplishments and our actions. Is that really who we are though? Are we the sum of our appearances? Are you the sum of your accomplishments and successes or failures? Are we what we feel? Pastor Michael Shreve hit the nail on the head in his sermon this past Sunday. I really want to encourage you to listen to it yourself, so I've added the link in the study notes. I was taking notes like a ninja, and I'll summarize to my best ability what he said. But nonetheless, go listen and dive in for yourself. Before we ask the question, Who am I? What is my purpose? We must first ask, Why am I here? Why? Why did God make us? Why are we here? In our search for purpose and calling, in our search for an understanding of ourselves and the personality type that we are, we must first come to understand that we are here to glorify God. When we're faced with that question, who am I? We need to look at the one who spoke us into existence. People can debate about a painting all day long discussing, maybe even arguing, what the painting was intended for. What is it meant to express? But they will never truly know until they ask the painter. Ask the artist. He will tell you what colors he used, why he chose that type of paint, what he was thinking when he painted it, what his purpose was for the painting, what he feels when he looks at his work of art. We can learn those things about ourselves when we ask the one who painted who made us. We are a masterpiece, one different than the other. And we find those answers when we look at the greatest love letter ever written, his word, the Bible. So when we dive into that word, what do we see? 
What does God have to say about the reason why he created us? First and foremost, it is to glorify him. Does that mean God is some egocentric, narcissistic divinity who just wants everyone to bow down to him? No. God by nature is God, not man. He is all things perfect and holy and good, so naturally worthy of glory and goodness. It's his nature. But how do I know he isn't just looking to manipulate or use us to get his ego fix? First off, we read in scripture that he is not man, that he would lie. Look at Numbers 23 verse 19 for that. Secondly, we see all throughout his word and creation and in the eyes of the one that he made that he is good. Just look at the miracle of a newborn baby. Look at the trees as they bend in the wind. Listen as the birds sing. Take a deep breath of God's creation and see that he is good. And yes, I know there is a lot, a lot of horrible evil in the world. But that is due to mankind, to the wickedness of our hearts, greed, lust, hate, selfishness, the things that came after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. God is not like that, nor do I believe that he condones it. He is good. Furthermore, we see proof of just how good he is when we examine what he did with all that glory that he has, all the glory he deserves. Pastor Michael said it so well when he reminded us, God gave his glory up. How did God respond when we stole his glory, when prideful man wanted glory for himself? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantages? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, verse 6-11 Wow, what a father! God is not egocentric. He by nature is worthy of glory. Man, however, since the Garden of Eden, has sought glory for himself. We want to be admired, worshipped. We want glory. Yet we have done nothing to deserve it. On the contrary, look at mankind and the things we do. God, on the other hand, is worthy of all the glory. And he gave it up, becoming a servant on our behalf, in our stead. As Pastor Michael said, God is worthy of glory twice over, once for creating us and secondly for saving us. So in our search for identity, we need to understand it's not about me. The earth does not revolve around us. It revolves around the sun. Pastor Michael painted this great picture with his words when he said, Everything would fall apart and head for destruction if the planets and the earth would not be revolving around the sun. If it were not like that, we would be destroyed. It all orbits around the sun, and it has to for things to keep moving. And in the same sense, it does not revolve around me. Things revolve around God. He needs to be the center of the universe. When things revolve around me, they fall apart. And I'm glad that I'm not the center of the universe. 
I'm glad God is, because look at how limited we are. We have such limited perspective. We only see a fraction, a portion of what is really. So if things revolved around us with our limited view, we'd all be in real trouble. God is the center. He is the sun that everything orbits around. So if we come to understand why we are here first and foremost, what does that have to say about our identity then? So we're made by God and for His glory. But why are we all different? Why do we have different gifts? While I prepared for this podcast episode, I did a little social media survey, if you will, trying to get feedback on what people thought when they heard the word identity. My friend Claudio Petrule made a very interesting statement when he pointed me to a word that is called Ubuntu. It's a term used in South Africa, which basically means I am because we are. Claudio went on to say, My identity, my being, is intricately connected to your being and the beingness of others. Others before me, others around me. He said, I see the body of Christ in such a way. None of us is the body in its entirety, but we are itself. The we are comes before the I am. There is a lot of identity talk that is rooted in the ego. But personally, he says, I find it more stimulating and accurate to see it from the collective side of things. I find it very interesting what Claudio pointed out here. We do very often view identity from the ego side of things, if you will. Who am I? Not realizing or remembering that we were all made in the image of God. We all bring gifts to the table. And as Jesus followers and part of his body, we all have different functions and gifts. All part of the same body with Christ as the head. So the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 verse 15 to 26 for more details on that. Atul Benjola's take on identity is that identity is how people recognize everyone. And yet, for my friend Danis, she thought of languages, traditions, and cultures when faced with the topic of identity. She expressed that to her, it's all of those things, and how she responds to them or rejects them, the way she feels, and the people around her. Then again, my friend Annalisa from Germany expressed that identity changes. When you're young, she said, your identity is given from the outside, but when you're older, you look for the role you want to play the way you want others to view you from the outside. Balance needs to happen, she said. Without a feeling of identity, you feel alone and like you can't arrive anywhere. You aimlessly wander. With Jesus, I know how and who I want to be. I know where my home is, where I can be. You see, so many wonderful and unique people have different thoughts and concepts when faced with this topic. For one, because we all are indeed unique and different. And two, because we have different feelings, experiences, and perceptions. My friend Lisa Vabulo had something special to say too when she shared something she had learned from Graham Cook. She said, God sees me already the way he always saw me when he created me. In Jeremiah, we read that he was scared to do what God called him to do. But then God told him, in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appoint you a prophet to the nations. God always saw Jeremiah as a prophet. That's what he made him to be. God sees us complete, even though we are still on the journey. 
Lisa went on to say, the more I get to know how he is, the more I get peaceful about myself. So it all comes back to having a close relationship with him, just being in his presence. You know, friends, I believe she is so right. In 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, we read that we currently see a poor reflection, like in a mirror. But then we will see face to face and know fully, even as we are fully known. The closer we are to God, the more time we spend with Him, the more we will become like Him. As we are refined as gold to a point where, just like gold, we reflect the one holding us. What a beautiful identity to be looked at, smiled at, loved by such a beautiful and loving God who forms and molds us, and then to reflect Him more and more as we are being refined and transformed into His image. My friend Holly Lewis reminded me of what God says in Psalm 139, verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. Holly went on to say, Our true identity is found in the perfect will of God, which He has planned for our lives. We yield to it to find our true destiny in Jesus. And as Pastor Michael Shreve said, what I do for God is not nearly as important as who I become in God. So what I'm seeing here is that an increased understanding of who we are occurs when I remember, first and foremost, who made me and why I'm here. Made by God, for God, for His glory. And when we understand that, we can realize that His will for us is truly the safest place. You know, sometimes that is hard for me to grasp because I have often not felt safe. Often I have feared that if I surrendered, God would take what I love. I often have a hard time trusting anyone, even God, who is so worthy to be trusted. So often I look for reassurance from double, triple checking the stove out of fear that I might burn the house down to asking my husband if we're okay because I need reassurance. And don't get me wrong, it's good to make sure the stove is off. And it's okay to check in with your loved ones. But it's unhealthy if we base our joy and fulfillment, our identity, on how we feel and the reassurance of people. When what God has to say is a truth that will not change. In trusting His will and remembering His good character, regardless of what may come, we can find identity. So does that mean it's bad to assess our personality type? Is it a sin to take a personality test? I don't think so. I think it can be beneficial to understand ourselves, our gifts, and so on. If our priorities are in line, that is. And if we understand that it is about God's glory, first and foremost. Knowing our personality type can be beneficial. We understand our strengths and weaknesses, what areas we need to work on. I'm sure we can all agree growth is not only good, but necessary. And so I like the Enneagram quiz because it does showcase what you look like when you're in a healthy place versus what it looks like when we lean towards the unhealthy version of our type. This allows for self-improvement and growth. And like I said, no one can argue against that. The problem, however, arises when we base our identity on what category we belong to, what others have to say about us. I believe that if we seek to glorify God in everything we do, then even taking a personality test can be beneficial, as long as we understand the objective, 
the objective to understand ourselves, our gifts and strengths, for the purpose of using them for God's glory, not our own. And then we can also understand that even our weaknesses can glorify God because He is strong in our weakness. Christ in me, the hope of glory. He will complete the good work He started, Philippians 1 verse 6. And our weaknesses also don't mean that we're less than. Beware of comparison here, my sweet friend. We're simply broken clay in need of molding and growth, redemption and sanctification, which is given to us freely in Christ Jesus. The potter who specializes in molding clay and making beautiful vessels. He's the expert director, master at making masterpieces, taking a broken violin with no strings and writing a symphony. My sweet sister, dear brothers, so how do we answer that question? Who are you? You are made by the maker, made for his glory, made good and in his image bought at a very precious price, the blood of Jesus, ransomed, redeemed, sanctified, and chosen. You are part of the body, a child of God, one of a kind, dearly loved, for the glory of God the Father. That, my friend, is first and foremost your identity. That needs to be your core, your foundation. That's a rock that can't be shaken. Everything else are outward characteristics, things that have come about through nature and nurture, the way you've been raised, where you've been raised and by whom, characteristics that are influenced by your experiences and perspectives, feelings and views. Regardless if you're a type 1, 2, 3 or an INFJ or an ENTP, you are made by God and for God. He saw you and said, it is good. And now, as you learn about yourself, your gifts and talents, as you learn how you make decisions and how you view the world, as you assess your strengths and weaknesses and discover your type and look at what you fear the most, be sure to run to the one who knows you by name, who formed you. Run to the one who has overcome the world, who can relieve your fears, bind your wounds, and mold you into his image. He is the strength in your weakness. And he can use your strengths, which he gave you, by the way, for his glory. You are you. And as I would say in my German dialect, und so ist es gut. That's good. Thank you for tuning in, sweet friends. If you want to dive in deeper, be sure to check out the study notes and resources, as well as the sermon called Moving Toward My Purpose by Pastor Michael Shreve. I've provided the link in the study notes as well. You are so very loved. This is Rosalie Elliott with Woman Unplugged. <laughs>